Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, we are going to talk about the PSAC strike. Uh, this is the Public Service Alliance of Canada, representing 230,000 federal employees uh, who have entered, and 155,000 uh, are on strike. This is day nine of the strike. It's been going on, started last Wednesday. Uh, this is largely uh canada revenue agency workers passport workers immigration etc uh all over the country um uh yeah so there's a deadlock between the union uh on question uh, and the government on questions of wages things like online work and other things we'll get into it today um, but this is very significant this is extreme <laughs> this is the largest pan-canadian strike uh, in a generation, in 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 decades, it's the largest largest peace act strike uh, in at least thirty years. Uh, the last one being in nineteen ninety one. Um, so yeah, we should all understand the importance of this strike, and we're going to go through the issues here and provide a Marxist analysis of of what this means for the Canadian class struggle. Uh, with me to uh, get into uh the issues here today i have julien arsenault who's we've had on before um welcome julien hi it's a pleasure to be here again uh yeah so uh julien has written on this he's been following it uh he's been to the pickets in montreal i've been to the pickets in toronto so hopefully with our our knowledge and experience we can uh, uh kind of help listeners understand what what this strike is all about and what the importance of it is and, and what we ultimately need to do to help the workers win so I don't know, maybe I'll just throw it over to you, Julian, and the question of, yeah, how did we get here, obviously? Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to just say a few words on this. Yeah, I think this strike is, is definitely an expression of, a, of, a, of the broader situation in the Canadian labor movement and among the working class. And, and this is, it's, a, it's not an accident that this strike is happening right now. If you think about the last year and a half, at, at least, uh, inflation. Inflation has been eating away uh, the wage and the living standards of workers all across the country and in most countries of the world. And, and workers have been suffering. And actually, the, the PSAC workers have no contract since June 2020. So previous to it, it's uh, since before inflation really started to kick in. So ever since inflation has been um, has been mounting, uh, the, their wages have been stagnant. So, so you, you really see uh, uh, where, where this strike comes from. Inflation, once again, is one of the, of the key issues. And it, you can really see the, cover, the Canadian government have been dragging their feet on this one. 
I mean, it's been it's been years of negotiations with no with no end in sight, and this is what led to to this strike. The government is forcing the workers to resort to an all-out strike to to gain to gain better wages and better working conditions. And, and we've been al- analyzing this general process uh, for quite some time. Uh, and and even I believe on this podcast we talked about inflation before, and we said that ultimately inflation would lead to strikes. It would lead to an intensifying class struggle. And I think this PSAC strike is, 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 a, is a vindication of this, of this perspective. And it's part of a, of a broader trend, this, this, uh, this trend of, of, of a rising uh, number of, of, um, of strikes. Actually, we, um, we, we recently wrote a, a lengthy document written by, by, by Fightback in, in which we, we analyzed this process. And, and we found that actually, um, there's more than 2 million person days lost to strikes in 2022, which is the highest in over a decade and more than double the average of the past decade. So while this is still the early beginnings of the rising kind of class struggle in Canada, but I think it's, it's definitely, you know, it, it has begun and we've seen more strikes in, in the private sector, now in the public sector. And I think this is just uh, part of the nature of this epoch, an epoch of, of crisis, uh, of, of capitalist crisis, and ultimately the workers being for to, forced to fight back uh, to, to maintain their standards of living and, and, and gain anything, really. So, so I think this strike is definitely, definitely not an accident. It's definitely part of this, this broader situation of inflation, of capitalist crisis, and the need to fight back. Okay, so in that sense, uh, this is not surprising. Um, uh, not if you're a Marxist, at least. <laughs> and as we've been in analyzing this process all along the line, that the capitalist crisis is manifesting itself in the increased cost of goods, uh, in particular food, uh, which, which hits the poorest the hardest. And a lot of these workers, they don't make that much money, to be honest. Um, they're struggling to get by. Um, so inflation equals strikes ultimately it's not that difficult to see in every in every union negotiation public sector private sector the issue of inflation is front and center um we'll get into that here in a minute so yeah this is a result of the general crisis of the capitalist system and inflation in particular um and we're going to see more of this so it is important that we analyze things like this not just for this one strike, but for what it means for the coming struggles. Uh, yeah, because it can set the tone. So I guess like in terms of the particular stuff, um, what are the issues in the strike? What are the issues, uh, the, the contentious, ish, I suppose, issues <laughs> between the union and the government? Yes, yeah, uh, well, the, there's two 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 distinct issues that are that are mostly at stake here obviously the question of wages and the question of inflation as we've said already uh actually the 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 president of the psac um has has been uh, to, to his credit ma- making a point about this he said last week uh in his, in his press conference announcing uh the strike deadline saying workers in this country deserve a fair and decent wage increase whether the unionized non-unionized public sector or private sector we didn't cause inflation. We shouldn't have to pay for it. That's absolutely correct. There's this, there's this uh, idea that's that's been um, put forward by the Bank of Canada, the government, 
the capitalists that wages, um, higher wages lead to higher inflation. Um, I don't think we have time to go, to go into that here. We've discussed it in previous podcasts, but, but this is completely false, both from the point of view of, of economic theory and the facts. Wages are always trying to catch up with inflation. Uh, inflation came from the, 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 the massive bailouts, the pumping of money into the economy for, to, um, to, to save big business and whatnot. Um, the workers have not, are not the ones to blame for, for inflation. But so, so the PSCC workers are trying to catch up. So they are asking for 4.5% per year over three years, which is 13.5%. It has to be said, actually, the, the union president himself has said that inflation for the period of the, the, the contract um, that they are seeking has been 13.8%, and they're asking for 13.5%. So unfortunately, the demand is, is, is hardly enough to meet the, the current inflation. But actually, to their credit, there's a, there's a segment of the, of the workers on strike, the CRA workers, the Canadian Revenue Agency, that, that were asking initially for, for the equivalent of 33% over three years, which, which, is, which definitely be a big win. And actually, we would argue that all the PSAC workers on strike should get that, that amount. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be this differentiation. But yeah, to, to their credit, there's a segment that, that is asking for that. Um, but yeah, but, but if you think about it, this, this is a... This is a big issue, inflation. I don't. I think everybody feels it in their in their pockets. And the other one, which which actually I've been to the picket line a couple of days, and many times, you know, when you discuss with the workers, obviously inflation comes up, but it seems like a big thing uh, is the question of work from home. Um, and if you think about it, with COVID, most of these workers were were, were obviously forced to go work from home. Uh, there was some accommodation possible. And, uh, and now after the lockdowns lifted, uh, they're trying to bring them back to, to the office. But, but this, this is causing serious issues for workers because some of them were hired during the pandemic. So they live far from the offices. Um, you know, some arranged that they can have their kids at home. So they would have to pay more for daycare if they were to go back to the office. And some live far enough that it's, you know, you know hundreds of dollars of gas to go to, go to work. And then there's the, the, there's the metro or subway pass the public transit um, pass, which are getting increasingly expensive across the board. So all of this are added costs that eat into the wages of the workers if they're forced to, to work at the office consistently. So, so this, this has been a very contentious issue in the strike. And, and the government on their end, they say, you know, this is a red line. You know, they shouldn't enshrine work from home in the, in the collective agreement. And we'll get back to this uh, later in terms of the significance of this strike. But the private sector is watching. Because if the workers can win this, it will put a pressure on, on workers in the private sector to, to try to win uh, arrangements for work from home where, where the workers need and, and want it. So really, those are the two very contentious issues. And, and it seems, yeah, like you said at the beginning, there's real deadlock here. The government doesn't want to budge on anything. And, and the union is also not satisfied with any of the, the negotiations. So those are, are the two main issues. Actually, we were, we were on the picket lines quite a few times. Actually, Fightback has been mobilizing in, in the main cities, going to the picket lines almost every, every day. And there was a worker that, that told us, we published an article with some uh, reports from the front line. And, and this worker said, said something uh, very interesting. You know, he, he said, uh, I work from a call center. I can work from home and do what I need to do without needing to pay to get in the office. So that's extra cost for gas, daycare, transit, for work. Uh, I know I can do at home as efficiently, but you also don't want to increase my pay to help me out. 
So, so not only they want them to go back to the office, but they don't want to increase their wages. So uh, the government is really trying to screw over the workers on this one, and they're not taking it. So this is why we're here. Yeah, I think that sums it up well. I also had the same experience. I was on the picket line in Toronto, in, uh, in North York, in, uh, on Monday, and a lot of workers that I talked to, a lot of the, the, the PSAC workers, they, the more than the wages was actually the work from home thing. But it wasn't as though, and I see the government and the media a bit trying to almost represent them as spoiled brats that just want to work from home, which I think is disgusting. And a lot of people were, a lot of the workers were actually quite pissed about that, that I talked to. And they said, it's, it's ultimately an economic question. Uh, and really, when you think about it, yeah, inflation's been hitting everybody. Um, I think, you know, in the first year before of the pandemic, before inflation, a lot of people saved a bit of money working from home. You didn't have to pay. You weren't traveling, weren't eating out as much. Maybe you didn't spend money on a on a public transit pass or whatever. Saved a bit. I know I saved a few hundred bucks a month this way. Um, and I think a lot of workers, uh, especially workers like this, they, they, they work from home. They, they saved a bit of money. They even saved a bit of money as this quote uh, from this worker said that you quoted said save money on daycare even because the kids could stay home um and you can kind of look after them as you're working um now inflation came in that started making everyone's life a bit difficult you could weather the storm when you were saving money working from home so basically but then they're asking you all to go for go work now you have to go work from the office so that's essentially hundreds of dollars a month wage cut if you want to look at it that way that's what it is so a lot of workers that I talked to basically said, well, it would only make sense if they were massively increasing wages to compensate, but they're not. So anyway, it's, 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 this is a key, key question for a lot of the workers. And in terms of like, I've seen some stuff in the media about the, how that affects service or something. I mean, I don't, th I think this is a concrete question. If you needed to be in the office for the servant to, for a certain job, then you should be in the office. If not, then it can be a bit more flexible. So, um, but I do think this is ultimately an economic question at root from as far as I can tell from actually talking to workers themselves, rather than a lot of these, these bourgeois journalists, they sort of just make up some crap to demonize the workers. But yeah, it's essentially an economic question. Yes. And on, on uh, the question of these of the wages, I do think and this is one thing that fight back has highlighted cola. <laughs> Every single union should should fight to have cost of living adjustment. Uh, in the damn contract so inflation goes up nobody drowns right all wage increases should be above inflation um and yeah i think you've said it here i mean chris elward said that they they want above inflation but i mean their demand they're technically the demand isn't um so yeah we i think we, there should be a fight to have above inflation wages uh, across the labor movement and that's for the betterment of the working class as a whole yeah, Julian. And if I can, if I can add something. Yeah, you you mentioned that they're they're treated as spoiled brats, and and I think this is a common lie that the media is trying to spread around. But 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 this is not true at all. Actually, there was there was an interesting report that came out during the strike showing that the, the federal public, uh, the, the federal workers in particular, ha, have ha, are the are at the bottom of the pack in terms of um, who is most affected by inflation. In fact, they were saying that their, their real wages adjusted for inflation have been stagnant since 2007. 
which is astounding when you think about it, is 16 years of no real wage increase during that period. And I think um, in, in the past, you know, a federal public sector job was definitely a, a, among at, at the at the at the top of the pack in terms of good jobs, stability, and, and all of that. And there is a certain stability, but it's not like it was in the past. And with inflation, their 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 living standards are being eaten away. So, uh, and and I think this is why ultimately the, the struggle does connect with people because it is a fight for for better wages, better working conditions, and and uh, and a win for them would be a win for everyone. But uh, let no one tell you that these people are spoiled brats. It's not the case at all. Definitely. Um, so moving on uh, into the strike itself, the strike, any strike, it's a movement. It's a movement of real working class people. The class struggle is not something about in books, um, although there are books written about it and you should read. <laughs> it's a real, real living, breathing thing, phenomenon of, um, in this case, 155,000 workers on strike. So, yeah, uh, how is the strike going? I mean, maybe you can start with your experience on the picket lines in Montreal, and then I can come in a bit in my experience more uh, on Toronto. Yeah, well, I think um, this is not the normal, the usual strike, I would say. In previous strike, I mean, I've, I've been a fightback member for, for a few years, and, and many times, you know, when we actively want to mobilize our members or supporters to to come and support workers on strike, it's 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 even hard to to find the pickets you know there's no rallies and there's almost nothing you know uh, it, it almost seems like the the bureaucracy doesn't want to to see other people come come to support the the workers um but this time it's different actually the the union leaders to the credit are, have actually mobilized in montreal in particular so i i think i think that that was a good move instead of like a bunch of small pickets there's uh, mostly i believe three picket locations, which means at, at every one of them, there's hundreds of workers that show up that are, you know, cheerful, uh, you know, uh, yelling some slogans here and there. Uh, so, so, so there's a good mood. There's, there's actual mobilization. There's hundreds of people on, on the picket line. It's a real uh, breathe of fresh air, to, to be honest. So, so, so yeah, the pickets, uh, the picket experience I've had were, were very good. The workers are very, very happy to see, to see support. Uh, and, and they're cheerful. And, and actually, uh, another important thing is it, is it has been escalating since it started. So the first few days were mostly uh, big pickets, at least in Montreal, starting at seven in the morning, going until noon or 1 p.m. And, and since the beginning of this week, they've been, uh, they had announced over the weekend that they would escalate the, the actions. And to the picket I went to the city center on Cunelevesque Street, we, we blocked the street uh, during, during the picket. And actually, um, there was a picket in the east of Montreal where they actually went to, to disrupt three um, entrances to the port of Montreal for, for an hour. And I believe the same happened in Vancouver, where they, they, some work, uh, PSAC workers disrupted some port entrance. So, so this, is, this is the type of action we haven't seen in a long time, which again, I think testifies to, to the nature of the spirit of rising class struggle. And, and as we speak, some workers of Montreal and the surroundings bust uh, all the way to an hour away from Montreal to the to the local um, customs actually to, to try to block customs to increase the pressure on the government. There was also a mass rally yesterday on Parliament Hill in Ottawa. So so there is this mobilization, there is this this momentum, and this is something we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, it's it's been a very interesting experience from from my point of view as a Marxist, from our point of view. 
to, to attend these pickets, to talk to the workers. So, so yeah, th there is momentum. And I think that, you know, th this has a logic of its own. If there are nine days of strike, uh, it's definitely not the time to back down. There is this increasing pressure and, and we, should, uh, we should keep it up. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I'll just say this. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't been to the pickets, you're, you're, missing, you're missing out big time. Um, I've been uh, a Marxist uh, for a long time, for almost a couple decades now, and I don't know if I've seen pickets like this before. I think maybe, maybe in Montreal, there was some pickets that were like that during, <laughs> in the past, uh, public sector strikes that I've seen. But yeah, really like mass pickets. I think the one in Edmonton, uh, just talked to comrades there, there was 1200 people in the, f the first few days, the picket. <laughs> it, uh, in Toronto, they had one picket we went to was all over a thousand. Another one was over fifteen hundred, probably. Um, so yeah, it's almost like mass rallies. So I mean, look, I think in the past sometimes the labor movement has been infected with this idea. It's almost they almost buy into the propaganda of the the capitalists and the government and the media demonizing the strikers. And so they, they don't want to strike. Now, of course, nobody really wants to strike. You would prefer not to, you are, but at the end of the day, working class, we are forced into it. But instead what happens is when you're forced into it, you have to be decisive. The government or the bosses won't back down. You have to say, we're all in then, and we're going to force you to give us a good contract to give us good wages, livable wages, because our members cannot take it any longer. And unfortunately in the past, I think sometimes union leaders would be a bit, no, and they wouldn't mobilize for this. They wouldn't, they'd, they'd be forced to go on strike, but they, would, they wouldn't advertise it. They wouldn't tell people that they're going on strike. They would, uh, they would sort of organize it secretly maybe. <laughs> um, this, this strike, you could tell they actually wanted to, and they mobilized full force and because of the anger of the ranks, which is, yeah, a lot of workers, a lot of older workers, but a big layer of actually younger workers. That, that's what I noticed in the pickets in Toronto. Even some, 20, even some people in the 20s, people in their 30s, people, uh, uh, people that have really not known a healthy capitalism. They've not known a capitalism that was stable, you know? They've only known crisis and whatnot. So they're quite radicalized. And so, yeah, these pickets, if you haven't been out to them, you really should be at the pickets, at least try to come to some during the day. Um, and actually, I'd say come with fight back. We've been doing active picket solidarity, mobilizing dozens and dozens of activists um, across the country in all the major cities. So contact us. You want to go with Marxists to a picket line? Uh, get in touch with us. And yes, as Julian, as you're saying there, the struggle has escalated. Um, today, they're currently right now at Lester B. Pearson Airport. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, we'll see where this goes. Um, yeah, another thing I noticed, actually, I wanted to mention. So a lot of times you go to a picket and uh, we're Marxists, you know. Uh, we have our magazine. We're, we're looking for workers that are interested in a Marxist perspective. And, uh, yeah, in the past, you know, if you went to the picket, you walked the line with the workers, you talked to them about the issues, maybe you you'd might sell one or two, a few papers maybe. Someone would be interested in what we had to say a bit more broader than the, the specific issues of the strike and whatnot. 
But Jesus, this strike, uh, hundreds and hundreds of workers have bought Fight Back magazine. Uh, we have subscriptions. People subscribe to it right off the picket line. Uh, and actually, what I've noticed, I don't know if you noticed that in Montreal, people are not, actually, most of the discussions I had weren't about the strike. People were talking to me about the banking crisis, the Pentagon leaks, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, uh, the general crisis of the capitalist system, um, the federal politics, uh, Pierre Polyev, like a whole bunch of stuff. Um, people are starting to think, look around at society, searching for ideas. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've noticed this is very, uh, this is, we talked about it. I talk, we talk about it every time in the podcast in the introduction that I recorded, the molecular process of socialist revolution is not something that occurs in the minds of some sort of uh, emancipator <laughs> academic in the ivory tower. It's something that occurs in the minds of working class people who cannot take it any longer and are starting to think and look around critically about what's happening and are looking for answers. So, and we honestly believe that Marxism is the method that makes the most sense and actually is the natural conclusion of the working class struggle to come to Marxist conclusions. And I could see some workers actually starting to do that. So very, very inspiring, very important. Um, yeah, I don't know, Julian, you have something else you want to say on this? Well, I think that definitely that's, that's the nature of a strike, you know, in, in normal times, you know, you're forced to, to go to work to do your 40 or 50 hours even, and, and it's hard to think of broader issues. I mean, many people do, but, you know, we're stuck in the routine, the day-to-day -day work, the family and all the rest of it. But a strike changes that. It actually, it gives you time to think and think critically of the world and the government and the capitalist system. And, and that's, that's how workers learn. And through these struggles, uh, not just the PSAC strike, but the, but the coming ones as well, increasing layers of the working class will be faced with all these questions. It, it reminds me actually of what politicized me. It was the 2012 student strike. I was hardly political at all before, before the strike. Uh, and you know this, this months-long struggle uh, to fight the tuition fee increase educated a whole generation on the nature of the state, the police, the violence, the media, and, and, and obviously the PSAC strike has been a, another example of this media uh, um, this media um, offensive against against workers. We'll, we'll get back to this. But these strikes, these movements, this is what teaches people en masse to think critically about capitalism and about the world we live in. And uh, th this is an experience that more and more people are going to go through. And this 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 bodes well for the future of class struggle. And more and more people, uh, ultimately faced with all these contradictions, this crisis, will come to to radical and ultimately socialist conclusions. Yeah, so I'm going to take a little uh, short commercial break here before we finish off and talk about the perspectives for the strike. Um, but yeah, as you, if you listen to the podcast, uh, the last few episodes, if, uh, you will have noticed that we are, Fightback is currently running a subscription drive. So our paper uh, that uh, we've been building it up over the years, uh, building up our subscriber base, um, we've expanded the publication rate. Uh, of not just our website, we produce, we, we publish articles uh, analyzing from a Marxist perspective, the class struggle and Canadian politics uh, daily. Uh, but we also have expanded our publication of our uh, paper, the, the, uh, which now comes out every uh, two weeks, our English 
uh, paper. And our French paper comes out uh, every month. So uh, La Riposte Socialiste. And yeah, we are running a subscription drive to increase our subscriber base. It's been fantastically successful. Um, we're trying to get 350 new subscribers. I believe we're well, we're over 300 now. Um, and we have another month to go in the campaign. Um, but yeah, we've, we've, yeah, we were really trying to get over a thousand fight, get fight back subscribers. We're currently at 986. Look, if you're one of those people that does not have a fight back subscription, you want to help us get over the finish line. Well, you know, that would be appreciated. Uh, in terms of our French publication, La Riposte Socialiste, we've, we have absolutely shattered the target. Actually, our target was to get over 300. I think we were at 220 something and we we're trying to get over 300. Well, guess what? We're at 365. So the number of people subscribing to our French newspaper is absolutely uh, fantastic. It's inspiring. I mean, the number of people that want to want to get uh, their, their Marxist uh, news. I think more and more people see it as well. And we'll get it. You, you mentioned it a bit already. They see the way in which the media, the so-called objective media, treats the strike <laughs> and they 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 see the way it treats working class people um and they're disgusted by it so we need working class people we need our own press and so yeah i encourage you to subscribe to fight back magazine and as i mentioned and subscribe to la Post socialist and as i mentioned it's been, the subscription drives been going fantastic just in the last week we have gotten 23 new subscribers to fight back magazine and i will so i will say thank you to all of you who have taken out a subscription to Fight Back. That's Charlene, Muscan, Jessica, Catherine, Aiden, Serena, Thomas, Leonard, Reza, Donald, Aldina, Brendan, Dustin, Stefan, Michael, Ermac, Ryan, Ayo, James, Lily, Natasha, Brian, and Crimson. So thank you very much for getting out of Fight Back subscription and this past week. And we've also had five new subscribers to La Riposte Socialiste, Elsa, Rosalie, Pierre, Jeremy, and Simon. So uh, merci beaucoup, camarades, uh, supporters, comrades, friends. Thank you for, for supporting the building of a, of a revolutionary workers press in Canada. Uh, yeah, and please go to marxist.ca slash subscribe or marxist.qc.ca slash abonnement, I believe it is, to get your subscription to either Fight Back or Larry, or both, Fight Back and Larry Post Socialist. Um, so yeah, I'm going to get back into it here with Julien Arsenault. We're talking about uh, the PSAC strike. So uh, we sort of touched it a little bit already, but let's just go fully into it. What's So you have this strike. It's a fantastic strike. Mass participation. Um, they're not back. It doesn't seem like they're backing down so much. They're, they're holding on the main issues. Um, uh, but what's, what's been the response from the government then? Julian, you want to comment on this? Yes, I, I think Justin Trudeau has become a master of hypocrisy on all fronts. And, and I think, uh, again, this strike has been, uh, has been a testament to, the, to the, the utter liberal hypocrisy on, on every single question. You know, this is a government that, that thanked the PSAC workers, the federal workers that that worked during the pandemic, ensured that the CRB checks were sent out, uh, made all this great work. And how is he trying to thank them? Low wage increases. And, and, and actually, there, there's more to it. I think uh, they, you know, the, 
they, they thank these workers and now they're in conflict with them. Actually, Trudeau, on, on day one or, or day two of the strike, uh, they, they advised people to work from home, basically to be online scabs, to, to scab the strike by staying at home and working and that they would get their pay, no problem. Which is actually ironic when you think about it, because they're telling them you can work from home during the strike, but in the negotiations, they're refusing to give them the right to work from home. It's complete, complete hypocrisy. Uh, but really, the, the hypocrisy doesn't stop there, because, because their main argument is like, look, they've, they've supposedly upped their offer to 3% a year, which would have been acceptable eight years ago. But in five or six percent inflation, that's completely unacceptable. And they say this is the maximum they can give. There's not a, it's a tight financial situation. There's not enough money to go around. Well, what have they done this past week? A 13.7 billion um, little handout to Volkswagen to build a factory in Canada. So this, this is complete hypocrisy. There's no money for the PSAC workers, but they found 13 billion for a multinational that is full of, it, full of money. This is complete hypocrisy. They, they ramped up the military budget, but there's no money for, for the workers. This is always how it goes with capitalist governments. There's money for everything under the sun except the wages of workers and, and improvements in the lives of, of working people. So th this, is, this is a completely hypocritical, but not out of character answer for, from the liberals. And, and you know, we should, we should remember this, this government, uh, they're in a minority, uh, propped up, uh, unfortunately, by, by the NDP. We've commented on this in the past on the podcast. It was a big mistake by the NDP bureaucracy, by the NDP leadership. Um, so, so they're forced to put this worker-friendly face. But, uh, but in the past, they were not so friendly. Actually, two years ago, uh, uh, almost exactly two years ago, there was a dock workers strike in which they immediately intervened to enforce a back-to-work legislation. They did the same thing four years ago with the CUPW workers. And that was easier for them because they had a majority government fully confident that they could crush the workers. So, so obviously, the liberals are no friends of the workers. I think many people, uh, are, many people that perhaps didn't see that are seeing it right now. And it's a completely hypocritical response. But we, uh, we should have expected that. I think that we've come to, to get used to Trudeau putting a nice little smile while he stabs you quietly uh, in the meantime. Yeah, so uh, this is different than the postal workers because uh, they had a majority government. They were a bit more confident. Uh, and so this time they've, they, Trudeau has been saying, they've been asking him about back to work legislation which he did against the postal workers right away. Um, and he's been pretty categorical that he doesn't want to do that. He's actually been distancing himself from the strike. He's trying not to come weigh in on it. Actually, he's kind of leave it to uh, uh, the, the local administrators basically <laughs> and the local minister. But um, yeah, so uh, I think there's a reason for that. Uh, he, he he must know that he is weak and that people don't like him so much. Um, and actually, there also is mass support for the strike. There's uh, recent polls. Well, I just have this one here. The Angus Reid came out the other day that showed that 65% of those surveyed supported the union's wage demands. 55% um, supported their right to work from home. Um, this is a majority. I mean, in the past, this is... This is quite rare, actually. <laughs> Normally, it's not a majority right away. So uh, early on, the, the government's been kind of not coming down so hard in 
terms of taking away the right to strike and all that stuff. And I think it's because they, I don't know, they, they want to pressure the union to give in or something, but that's, that's not working. The union's not giving in. Maybe, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure from the rank and file. As far as I can tell on these huge picket lines, there's a lot of mass anger, right? People don't want to give in. They don't want to accept a wage increase below inflation. They can't stand it anymore, right? Um, and also, I think more and more people, they see what you had mentioned there, the hypocrisy. Don't give us this we're poor and we have no money thing. The Trudeau government in the last few years has been like money grows on trees for their corporate buddies. Hundreds of millions of dollars showered on their corporate friends. And now, yeah, Volkswagen, you mentioned, that's that's one. That would probably be enough to buy Volkswagen and have a nationalized car producing in, 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 in Canada. Um, and, and I think the amount of money per job, it doesn't even make sense. It's just a big corporate handout. Um, and the workers see this. Um, reminds me of a public sector strike in Quebec we were talking about earlier where uh, uh, Philippe Cuillard, the old uh, liberal premier, was, uh, was playing tough with the public sector workers, but he, give, he meanwhile, he was bailing out Bombardier. Everyone can see it. So yeah, workers don't want to give in. They see the hypocrisy. Um, yeah, and there is public support for workers, for the PSAC workers. You can see it. So there's a new tactic, tried and true method that capitalist governments always use. Well, they get their friends in the media uh which this isn't the, the podcast isn't about this but mr Paliev is making a lot of noise about the so-called government the government funded media the cbc which is usually what he's doing is try to show that they're somehow communist or <laughs> in favor of state ownership or something like that or uh, but i mean the cbc in and of itself has not been friendly to the strike has not been friendly to working class struggles um so that's rather irrelevant. But what Pierre Polyev fails to mention is that the vast majority of media in Canada is owned by a few corporate media conglomerates. And they, they're privately owned, capitalist interest, and that's while they pretend to be objective, they are clearly not. And actually, I would argue that doesn't even exist. You're defending a class interest either way. And that becomes very clear uh, in this strike. So yes, it is very obvious over the last, probably since late last week, that the the tact has shifted. They're shifting to demonization. And what they're really trying to do is they're trying to break down that large sector of the majority of Canadian society that's, that supports the PSAC workers. So they break that down by demonizing them, by making up all sorts of slander and lies and ridiculous comments in the media. So they can break that down and so you can break it down to maybe a, a minority and then they'll be more easy. It'll be more easy to crush the strike at one point. Um, but yeah, Julian, yeah. you wrote an article. You wrote a great article about this media slander. So maybe you you have more to say about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well this is something for, for anyone that pays attention to to the mainstream news. It's been, it's been a constant barrage for for the last week. It's been on every single outlet. You have all the arguments possible mobilized to divide people, to, to turn the public, to turn public opinion against, uh, against the strike. Actually, one that was actually quite funny was in the National Post, this rabid voice of the establishment. Uh, one of them penned an article called Striking Federal Workers are Hardly Working Class Canadians. 
So, you know, and this article compares the federal workers, you know, they say, oh, you know, they're not the, they're not the first people we think of when we talk about the, the drudgery of the working class. These people that hate the working class, hate indigenous people, um, hate the unions, hate, hate the left, are now, seem now very concerned about the real workers, you know, and trying to mobilize them against the federal employees. This is, this is completely, completely disgusting. You know, you had a piece in the Ottawa Citizen uh, where, where you had actually an, an ex, they found, I don't know how they found them, they found an ex-federal employee trying to say to his ex-colleagues they can't win, saying, you know, your struggle is just, but you, you just can't win the strike. You, you have to admit it. And actually par for the course, uh, the Toronto Sun uh, had an article called Dear Federal Workers, Here's Why You're Despised. You know, do, do, do you ever see articles like that in the Toronto Sun or, or, or in CBC or the National Post saying to corporate, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to companies, why they're despised? You, you, don't, you don't see that. You hardly see that. So, you know, it's, it's very, very clear. Actually, it does remind me, again, there's, there's many parallels between, uh, you know, major strikes, you see similar trends. And actually, it reminds me of the 2012 student strike. That was one of the big big things that, that all of us realize, the, the, the media slander against the strike. I found two articles almost completely identical on the 2012 strike and the PSAC strike. It, it, was, a, it was in Journal de Montréal. It, it was saying uh, the, the, the federal workers strike taken hostage by a minority. And, and I found this article from the 2012 strike. It was called a minuscule minority and saying it was just a minority of students imposing the strike to the rest. It's always the same tactics. Uh, you know, so so th this is nothing new under the sun, but but we should we should arm ourselves against these arguments. There's been the typical fear mongering about economic crisis. That that's another funny one. They're saying, oh, will this the PSAC strike trigger a recession? Well, this is a recession that the Bank of Canada is deliberately trying to bring about. They've talked about that openly. That you know, their rising interest rates could bring about the recession, but we need to do what we need to do. And now it would be the fault of the PSAC workers. Complete hypocrisy. Then they try to divide the workers, say, oh, the federal workers are spoiled brats. Well, guess what? They said the same about the dock workers two years ago, the same about the students. They say that whoever goes on strike, uh, they, they say, oh, they're spoiled brats. What are they complaining about? It's always like that. And now they try to slander the strike. This question of a minority, uh, and that was actually the work of the CBC. They, they penned an article unveiling that only 35% of workers had voted. Uh, well, guess what? 80% of them voted in favor of the strike. How does that compare to a minority liberal government that has 20% support among, among the, the population? If anything, we are ruled by a minority. <laughs> they are trying to, to take hostage the, the, the PSAC workers. Of, of spoiled brats, no less. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these, these journalists and media probably working from home with their little coffee and their, their fat salaries, talking about privileged federal workers. Give me a break. This is complete hypocrisy. And we should, we should denounce this very, very loudly. But, but, but as you said, what is very interesting is that despite this, this barrage of media slander, there, there is a support for the strike. There was actually a new poll just this morning before we, we started recording this uh, by, by Ipsos said that 38% of Canadians support the strike against only 28 that support the government. And then there's a, there's a middle ground that, that, uh, that doesn't know that much about it. So again, another poll showing support, more support for the strike than for, than for the government. This, this is quite the, it, it shows that it connects. Despite all the lies, people can see this is about 
fighting inflation and fighting the buses. And many people can, can relate to that uh, uh, to, totally correctly. So this media barrage is, I mean, can, can affect uh, people's consciousness, obviously. But the, the, the media is not this all-powerful tool that the ruling class can just use. There's this argument sometimes in the left, like, oh, the struggle is hopeless. Like, they have the media, they have the schools, they have everything. But no, when the crisis hits, the working class can see through the lies. And I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and you see the true nature of the bourgeois media. A lot of people think, oh, no, media is neutral, objective. Uh, when push comes to shove, it clearly is not. They take a side. And that's clearly what we're seeing. It's disgusting. And yeah, in terms of this spoiled brat thing, I find it funny. The spoiled brats are calling the people that make the world go round and do all the work spoiled brats and not workers. I know some spoiled brats. They happen to be in the parliament and on board of governors of big companies and CEOs, uh, the ones that are living on yachts, living it up, <laughs> that make exorbitant wages. Uh, yeah, and actually increase their own wages, vote to increase their own wages quite regularly, actually, in parliaments across the country, are then complaining about people that barely scrape by as if they're not workers and spoiled brats and they're holding us all hostage. I do know some people who are holding us hostage. I don't think it's these people though. I don't think it's the PSAC workers, but absolutely disgusting. Um, yeah, moving on, I think we should kind of get into the end of this podcast here. So I think, yeah, we talk about perspectives for the strike. Um, you know, I think in every strike, there's always I've heard some, I think so. I've heard some people complain. Actually, I heard someone on the, uh, not on the picket line, walk by the strike and be like, oh, grumbling about the strike. I can't get my passport or this taxes season, you know, there's always uh, a disruption. There's always, that's the, that is the point of a strike. But the question is, who is to blame for that? It's not the workers. It's not the union. It's the government. Now the government, it's a capitalist government. As we've described, they're showering their friends with corporate bailouts and subsidies and money, and they refuse to give any, they refuse to give living wages to working class people. Um, so the question is then, uh, if, you, if you don't like the disruption, which I don't think anyone does, actually the workers don't like it either. Do you think they wanna be in the rain? I was in the rain and hail on Monday. Do you think they wanna be on the picket line? They don't wanna be on the picket line. So the question is then, what do we do? Well, we have to make sure the strike wins. <laughs> the strike must win, defeat the government. Actually, and I think uh, not just for the workers, not just for the PSAC workers, for all workers. It's not these privileged people against the rest of the workers, that if the PAC workers win and defeat the government, that would set the tone for the rest of, well, unionized and non-unionized workers, actually. Um, so, and actually that I think is why the government is digging their heels in and they don't want to budge because they know it would set the tone. This is a class war ultimately, and one side has to win. So we're on the side of the workers and we need to make sure that this strikes win, strike wins, which is why we've been so active in going to the picket lines, as we do in every strike. Um, but yeah, you're listening to this. You, you need to go to the picket lines. You need to help this strike win. Um, but yeah, Julian, you have uh, 
a few things to say about this? Like how, how do we make the strike win then, I guess? Yeah, definitely. They, they are scared. And you see that in the media. The, like the real thing they're getting at when they're attacking these workers and they say, this would set a precedent uh, for other labor conflict or whatever you want to call it. It would set precedents. And we hope it will set positive precedents. But yeah, in, ter- in terms of the perspectives for the strike, there's, um, there's news that has started to come out. It seems to be at a deadlock, but here and there you see snippets of what could be happen- happening behind closed doors. And actually the, the president of the union uh, says that they, they've went back from the 13.5% uh, wage increase that they demand. What, while they don't say... Uh, how much they've uh, went back on this. Well, I believe that this, this is a mistake. And, and this, we've seen this in many, many labor disputes in the past, in many strikes. Weakness invites aggression. And if you start to make concessions, this just asks for more concession and it, it can embolden the government. So, and this, as, as the, the president has said himself many times, they're asking for barely enough to catch up with the current inflation. So they should definitely not budge on that. Uh, so so this, this seems to be happening. And the government, on, their, on the other hand, they're digging their heels. They've said that this work from a home thing is a, is a red line for them. And when you think about it, there's a logic to it from the point of view of capitalism in general. Like the managers, the bosses, want to control their employees. Actually, a, a worker was telling me that on the picket line. He says, the real problem with these people is they want, they want to micromanage you. They prevent you from working well. But working from home, we... We're good. Uh, productivity has not gone down, but it's the managers that want to control every gesture we make. Um, but it is linked to capitalism. Is it the workers that are able to run the factories, the workplaces, the offices on their own, or is it the bosses that decide? So, so, so this question goes to the heart of how, how capitalist companies and government offices work. Um, and, and yeah, the government has been saying the union is unreasonable. There's still no reasonable... Um, uh, deal on the table so so there is still a deadlock despite the the union saying they've they've went back on the, their main wage demand so what is going to happen next i mean we do, we shouldn't try to have a crystal ball here but in any of these conflicts at a certain point the voices in favor of back toward legislation crushing the strikes become louder and louder now the government hasn't been talking like that uh, at least so far it's a we government we've said it already but there are voices starting to argue, look, it's time for back-to-work legislation. I think that this is, it, there's a very real possibility this will be on the table sooner rather than later. But what, what, what happens if, if, that, if that is the case? Well, I think that this back-to-work legislation um, has been a real cancer on the labor movement for decades now, where anywhere there's a strike that is remotely significant and, and that works, they bring in back to legislation, crush the strike, impose arbitration, and the workers lose their, their, their power to mobilize. And, and most times this happens, uh, almost all the time until recently, the, the union leaders unfortunately cave in and they respect this undemocratic law that is sometimes uh, declared unconstitutional years later, but the damage is done. That's actually what happened in the last Peace Act uh, strike that was that large in 1991, the Brian Mulroney government impose a backward legislation that was unfortunately respected by the, the leader, union leadership called to respect the law and the strike was defeated. Now, we've had a very positive precedent set last fall. In, in Ontario, the education workers 
were, uh, were about to go on strike and the Doug Ford government imposed a backward legislation, an enforced contract protected by the notwithstanding clause, which would protect it from any court, uh, any court uh, uh, challenge. And what did the workers do? They went on an illegal strike and they threatened an all Ontario general strike. And there was even talks about Quebec workers coming to Toronto to, to protest the law. And it worked. After two days of illegal strike and the threat of a general strike, they brought down the back-to-work legislation. This is, this is unprecedented. And this shows that it can be done. It can be done if and when there's back-to-work legislation. Look, the, the education workers were 55,000. There's three times that number of federal workers with a broad support from the population. They can do it. It can be done to defy a future back to legislation. That would be the only way to, to protect the right to strike and to win ultimately, to, to put the government on, on the back foot. And, and actually this, this brings an interesting question because it is a minority government. I think the reason why they're not enforcing back to legislation right now is it directly linked to that. The NDP has already said they would not vote for back to legislation. So the liberals would probably be forced to get support from, from the conservatives, which would put them in a really awkward position. Uh, but, but that's not enough for the NDP to just say we'd vote against it. That's, uh, that's par for the course. But I think they, they must put in a vote of no confidence to bring down the government. It's not sufficient to just oppose back to legislation and let the conservatives vote it and then continue propping up the liberals. They should bring down that, that government. So, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. But if the deadlock continues, we can expect some sort of ending of that sort, which would post point blank the question of the defense of the right to strike. And this would open up a, a, a very interesting situation. Yeah, so I think you hit on a lot of the main issues here. Um, the, the union or the, the media, sorry, the media rather is uh, demonizing the workers and they're preparing the ground for back to work legislation ultimately at a certain point maybe not this week we'll see they could also let it drag out a bit um but there are limits to that but yeah they're demonizing the workers they're hoping the union bends uh they seem like as you said it seems like they're bending a bit um but i mean it is this phenomenon where the workers cannot take anymore so there is there is mass anger and there's a desire not to back down. Um, and I think that there's the workers are starting to realize their strength like this. Like I said, these these were they haven't there hasn't been a strike like this since 1991, at least. Um, and there was a quote from one CRA worker that uh, we we published. We had interviewed a bunch, as we mentioned earlier, a CRA worker, James, who said who said this. And I think it sums it up rather well. Take a look around. Individually, we may have we may not have a lot that we can do, but we came together. We can put the powers that be in place. Exactly true. Working class working class people, when they enter struggle together, like on a big strike like this, they realize their collective power. We are more than them. Ultimately, that's what it boils down to. And actually, we yeah, we have the power we run society we have the power to stop the wheels from turning so um yeah i think that ultimately uh that ultimately sums up uh the strength of the strike the strength of the working class 
Um, yes, and I do agree with what you said about a back-to-work legislation. Let's get this clear. What is back-to-work legislation? It is unconstitutional, anti-democratic, taking away the democratic right to strike. That is what it is, and it enforces, it forces a contract on working-class people. You don't get to collective bargain. Um, and this is related to something I commented on earlier. Um, I actually wrote an article in the latest issue of Fight Back magazine, um, which is not online yet, but you could subscribe to the paper and get it in the in the in the in the paper, uh, which is called "Prepare for Class War." The in a in a country like Canada, uh, you've had for a number of decades, at least since the post post since the the World War II, they eventually established uh, a social contract of sorts between labor and the government and the capitalists. It's enshrined in the collective bargaining agreement process. And in Canada, this was possible because there was a post-war boom. Canada is an advanced capitalist country. And so the bourgeoisie was able to essentially buy class peace for decades at a time. There has been, there hasn't been really, not since 1972 in Quebec, where there was a revolutionary general strike. Has there really been much in terms of a re revolutionary activity in Canada? Um, so uh, yeah, the bourgeoisie has been able to buy class peace and they've been able to have this nice, th uh, the nice relations. You go into the union ne negotiation, maybe you say 3% a year, they say one, you settle on two and you shrug your shoulders and maybe it's not the best deal, but it's not the worst. This is not possible anymore as we've described. The crisis of capitalism makes it impossible. So the social contract, the social peace, class peace doesn't exist. There actually has been. If you look at your bank account, you look at your wages, you look at your purchasing power, you look at the benefits you have, there has been a one-sided war against the working class been waged prior to this. Uh, and, and we see this re related back to back to work, things like back to work legislation. The right to strike uh, barely exists. It mostly is only on paper. And anytime any strike starts to actually have an effect, the right to strike gets taken away, uh, either by provincial governments or the federal government. So this is the nature of the epoch we live in. And, and we need everyone in the labor movement, in the left, in Canadian society as a whole, needs to, we need to all get that through our heads. We live in an epoch of class war, and we're going to see more of these types of strikes. And yes, we need to make sure that the PSAC strike wins because it sets the tone. I think you said that it sets the tone for everything else. There are currently, uh, there's a currently a common front of public sector workers uh, in Quebec, which represents uh, I think 420,000 workers. Um, they're negotiating with the Quebec government. They got shafted the last time around. They had an agreement forced on them as well. They've had agreements forced on them multiple times. Um, uh, we could uh, Maybe you have a bit more information about that, Julian, because uh, you're in Quebec. But yeah, the, what lesson would then be set for them? It sets, you can win. You don't have to accept a crap agreement. Um, yeah, and I do believe if back-to-work legislation comes about, it needs to be defied. It needs to be defeated. And actually, the question then becomes, like the Ontario education workers, you threaten back-to-work, we threaten general strike. 
and you see who blinks. <laughs> and you can't threaten general strike if you're not prepared to follow through with it. Weakness invites aggression, right? So that is what this means. Any little strike, but this isn't the littlest strike, but any labor conflict could erupt into this. And we need to be prepared for that. Um, yeah, and really fight, fight to win fight to win the struggle, to set the tone for the broader class struggle in Canada. Um, yeah, Julian, you want to come in here? Yeah, definitely. I think many public sector workers in Quebec are probably keeping a close eye on this because, yeah, I think one of the next big conflicts on the horizon is the clash between the, the CAC government of François Legault and, and the public sector workers in Quebec. Actually, the CAC is making an offer even worse than the liberals, if that's possible. Like it's 9% over five years in a period of heightened inflation. This is a they're spitting in the face of the workers. And the workers, uh, to their credit, are asking for base, an equivalent of COLA, basically cost of living adjustment. Um, and this is irreconcilable. I'm sorry to say, this is irreconcilable. And I don't expect the CAC, this government of the bosses, you know, François Legault himself is an ex, uh, he was the owner of Air Transat, I believe. Uh, this is not a government that's going to play nice with the common front workers. And, and I think if, if we do get a victory of the PSAC, it will embolden the Quebec common front that will notice and will take the lessons from that. And they're not the only ones. So this is a very important struggle that is watched by, by all work, by workers across the country and by the bosses. Mind you, they, they are watching anxiously at this strike. And I think, yeah, this, this is part of, of the broader epoch that we live in, as we've said many times. And I think when the liberals say, oh, there's no money for the workers, the, we gotta admit there, there is a logic to it. Under capitalism, there is no money for the workers. Profits come before people and austerity comes down at a certain stage. You know, all these debts and all this, these bailouts, these, these billions of dollars that the private companies were showered with during the pandemic, they have to be paid back. Someone has to pay. Actually, the question who pays for the debt, who pays for the crisis, has been one of the main questions fueling most revolutions in, in history. And, and it's fueled mass movements a decade ago, the, the big anti-austerity wave in Europe, in, in Quebec, elsewhere um, in the world, has been fueled by austerity, by the attempt of the capitalist governments to make the workers pay. And there's a logic to it under capitalism. From their point of view, they cannot afford concessions to the workers. And this is implicit in the situation, but the workers can't afford not to eat, not to make their house payment, uh, not to lose their house. So this brings inevitable class war, as you said. But so, so, so I think through these experiences, more and more workers will, will come to see that, that all of these um, these attacks by the bosses, by the governments, are not due to the fact that they're bad people. Many of them are, but it's about the, the capitalist system itself that is not fit to satisfy the needs of working class people and oppressed. And more and more people will make the link to the need to fight for a socialist society, to fight for revolution in their lifetime. And when you think about it, actually, even from the point of view of winning um, this or that uh, wage struggle or strike struggle, if you threaten to go all, if you threaten revolution, if you threaten to go further, this is the best way to get concessions. And actually in the history of the labor movement, the most militant strikes, the foundations of union was almost always a feat of socialists, communists, and Marxists. 
it's not an accident. They had this class struggle perspective and with feedback at the bosses with class struggle methods. And, you know, in, in Quebec, you know, there's a big socialist tradition in the labor movement. There isn't in Canada as well. Uh, and and we, this, this is what we need. We need to revive the socialist militant tradition in the labor movement. And, and this is what Fightback is, is trying to do among all these struggles, trying to find the activists that make these connections, want to join the revolutionary organization to bring back this, this, this militant tradition of the labor movement. Fantastic. Well, I think that does the trick. Um, we need to connect the PSAC strike and every working class strike to the general crisis of the capitalist system, to the question of the capitalist system itself, and ultimately for the socialist transformation to build a world, to build a society in which profit does not come before people, in which working class people don't have to accept poverty wages, because ultimately this is capitalism. This is not surprising. This is what the capitalist system means. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, and yes, again, if you want to, if you have not already gone to the picket lines, please join us on the picket lines. Get in touch with Fight Back. We'll be visiting the picket lines in Victoria, Vancouver, Edmonton, uh, Toronto, Kingston, uh, Montreal, Halifax, uh, and I am probably missing cities. I apologize to comrades in other cities. But yes, we have been visiting the picket lines in many, many cities across the country. Uh, please join us on the picket lines to help the PSAC workers win and set the tone in the Canadian class struggle. Um, so yeah, thank you for tuning in today. I'm going to just fi finish off by promoting an event that we have. I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but the Western Canadian Marxist Summer School. This is occurring on Canada Day, long, Canada Day long weekend, July 1st, July 2nd, in Edmonton, Alberta. Now, this is the largest Marxist gathering in Western, west of Ontario, basically, in Western, uh, in Western Canada. Um, last year, we had over, well over 100 people that attended. Um, and this year is set to be much larger than that, Lar largest one. I don't know how many, a couple hundred people, maybe. We have people coming in from all over the country, ultimately from all over the West, obviously, from BC, from uh, Alberta, from the prairies, um, maybe from the North, I don't know. Uh, and we also have a record number of people coming from Quebec and Ontario uh, out to Edmonton for uh, this event. I will be there. I will be, I will be giving a presentation. Um, so I really invite everyone listening to please consider, go to our website. You can go to marxist.ca slash school and look at the information about the Western Marxist Summer School and, and sign up, register, attend to, for this fantastic event, which is gonna be a very educational event. The theme of the school is the philosophy of revolution. So we ultimately believe we live in a revolutionary epoch, but before you can act, we must understand, we must know why we act and what we do exactly. And that takes a study of theory and history. So yes, we have, a lineup of presentations uh, on uh, yeah the history of philosophy from a Marxist perspective, uh, Marxism and science, a uh, hundred years since the German Revolution, um, Marxism versus postmodernism, the social and environmental crisis in Alberta, and in defense of Marxism. So yes, I encourage you to go to the website marxist.ca/school, check it out, and register for the Western Canadian Marxist Summer School today. Um, 
also, this is related to the general advances of fight back and in building the forces of Marxism in Canada. Uh, so a handful of years ago, we, we didn't have much out West, to be honest, but really, um, especially in Alberta, which I think a lot of the left in the East of, in Quebec and Ontario, the, the have written off essentially as the Texas of Canada, a bunch of cowboy oil worker yahoo right wingers and you know traditionally alberta has been the bastion of canadian conservatism we, we didn't we never took that approach we always understood that alberta in particular was like any other capitalist place where there are class differences and and there all are class antagonisms and really what we've seen is we've grown faster there than anywhere else in the rest of the country uh hand over fist uh, hundreds of people, young people, young students, young workers are, are, are rocked or shaken by the crisis of capitalism and are looking to get involved. And so, yeah, this is part and parcel with that, which and we're building the Western Canadian Marxist summer school in Edmonton as a tradition, but also in British Columbia, where we have branches in Victoria, Vancouver, uh, and we have been growing rapidly over there. So people will be gathering for this school. Um, and yes, in order to make these gains, uh, to sustain these gains, to, to consolidate the gains, uh, Fightback is getting our first Western Canadian regional office in Edmonton. We're actually moving in, uh, I believe, on May first or subsequently. We're getting, we're, we've signed the lease. We're getting the office. It's a lovely office, um, and so yeah, we're appealing for people to support us in this. Uh, yeah, donate to us. <laughs> give us uh, go to you can go to the subscribe page and give us a monthly amount. Uh, to help sustain the work that we do, the rent needs to be paid. And other than this, we also are hiring our second regional full-time organizer uh, who will be working out of the office in Edmonton to help us uh, uh, build the forces of Marxism uh, in Western Canada. So yeah, if you're listening to this, if you like this podcast, if you like what we do, if you like our paper website, and you want to help us concretely, um, then please uh support us support the building of the forces of marxism uh in in canada in the in the in the world and in western canada in particular um yes and, and register for the western canadian marxist summer school see you on the picket lines you have been listening to this week in the canadian revolution where we analyze the events of the class struggle the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.